Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Well, I am truly sorry that they postponed Charlotte Shout and the podcast festival to go with it. Man Listening was going to do a live public taping. And that doesn't mean that I didn't talk to the very same special guest who will be appearing this time next week on the podcast. So I did same guest in the same time slot that we would have done live. And we met face-to-face and it was a really special conversation If you'd like to support Man Listening and elevating the strong voices of powerful and resilient women, just go on over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and uh, look for Man Listening. One word. Thank you for your support. And I get into this rhythm of hearing my feet on the pavement or concrete, and I'm just free-flowing. What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening, a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man Listening, because every woman deserves to be heard. Hello there, and welcome to Man Listening. I'm Stuart Watson. I met Felicia Biddle through one of the producers of this program, one of the developmental producers, Allison Andrews. And um, she just has this eye for fashion. And uh, I hired her actually to come stand in my closet and go yep nope nope well what are you looking for she does it professionally and and really it's a gift Um, but I wanted to talk to her about a whole bunch of different things and she really has um, a warm and inviting presence and really helps people and supports them and gives them confidence so uh, this podcast was recorded On a park bench in the fourth ward, you're going to hear the fountain in the background and a little pitter-patter of rain as we had to open our umbrellas. But it's real. It's live and it's real. Felicia Biddle. Where were you born? Morven, South Carolina. Hospital or home? Hospital. For your mother, you were number what of how many? I was the second of three, but I think I was the hardest of all. Why, why do you say that? <laughs> so my mama tells this story about, so my name was originally supposed to be Monique. And she says this story about how she was so out of it after the labor, she couldn't remember <laughs> my name. So the doctor actually named me Felicia. She let the doctor name you. She said she was so out of it, she could not remember the name she had for me. She said, you pick. (laughs) So whenever I tell people I was originally supposed to be a Monique, they're like, oh, I could see that. And I was like, dang it. If you had been Monique, who is Felicia and who is Monique? There's this shadow character. Monique just sounds so, I don't know, ba-ba-boom or a little bit regal. 
Felicia for me, I mean, I love Felicia. I wouldn't change it for a thing, but it's almost like, I don't know, it feels like that's a Southern girl, country girl name, Felicia. So I love, I love Felicia. That's who I am. So you were born and named before the whole, uh, what is it, by Felicia? Absolutely. And that has got to have been hard. First of all, it's, an, it's not annoying, but you know, everybody gets so excited when they say that joke. They think it's the funniest thing. And I'm like, okay, I think you're number 1,002 that said that joke to me. They're like, I know you're going to hate it, but bye, Felicia. And I was like, you feel better? Do you feel better? <laughs> I'm glad it worked for you because I'm over it. I'm Correct. tired. Did you know that was going to be a tagline? Absolutely not. And I actually remember the movie it was in. I think it was in Friday with like Ice Cube. And I remember I was so excited because you don't really see Felicia in too many movies, if any. So the young lady, there was a character named Felicia. So I was like, oh my God, there's a Felicia. There's actually a Felicia. And I remember when he said, bye Felicia. But I did not know it would do something to that extent where it become like a tagline or something. Have you ever regretted being Felicia? It seemed like you leaned into it. No, I actually, so my last name is Bittle. Right. So when I was growing up, I did not like the name Bittle. The kids called me, and I don't know if you remember, there's a dog food called Kibbles and Bits. Kibbles and Bits. So the kids were like, there go Felicia. Kibbles and Bittles and Bittles and Bittles. <laughs> and I don't, you know, kids, it does, it's funny now, but when you're a kid, that is like the most embarrassing thing. And they will all just kind of chime in on it. Kibbles and Biddles and Biddles and Biddles. So it wasn't Felicia that I had a hard time with. It was Biddle. Yeah. Yeah. But now I love Biddle because it's just like you don't meet a lot of Biddles. Where did you grow up? Charlotte, North Carolina. So I am a unicorn. <laughs> There's not there are, too many of us left. There are not. Where did you mm -hmm. graduate high school? Garringer High School. Wildcat. Oh. Uh-huh. When you were a little girl, first off, how far apart are the three of you? So my brother, Adrian, he's the oldest. He and I are two years apart. Me and my younger brother, Maurice, are three years apart. But I'm the middle child and only girl. So you got some attention because of that. Okay, so it's a blessing and a curse. I'm an only girl, which meant my father had his thumb on my forehead the entire time. <laughs> and so I would be sitting there and my father would allow my brother to do things, but because I'm the girl, I couldn't do it. And my father's a country, my, like, he, he chews concrete and spits out nails, and <laughs> he was raised on a farm, so his very strong ideas of the role of a woman versus a man, girl versus boy. So I would be like, why Adrian and Maurice get to, and even my younger brother was allowed to do certain things because he was a male. And so that was the curse of it. But my mother, the blessing of it sometimes was my mother would be like, your daddy will walk through fire to get whatever it is that you want. So she would always say, be careful about your power of asking for what you want because he will make it happen. Protective, you know, supportive. So it was like a blessing and a curse kind of sort of. So when you started dating, uh-oh. I didn't date. <laughs> you didn't dare. I didn't. It wasn't worth it. It was not worth it. My father, I think my first date was prom of senior year. Oh, my word. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. My brothers were dating before that. And even with prom, I had to almost give my daddy enough time to kind of soak it in. Like, I couldn't ask him the day before. It was one of them things I kept saying, Dad, you know I got senior prom this year. 
I'll be going on a date. I was doing that all year to prepare. And so my mother was like, I'll talk to him. Don't worry about it. Because I was like, am I not going to go to prom? <laughs> Is that a possibility? Did he have to meet this young man? Absolutely. But I, um, so when I was that year, I made sure it was my boyfriend at the time, but he would come to the house and my daddy would let us go sit in the living room. You know how there was always this one nice room in the house? Yeah. I don't know if people do that so much anymore, oh, sure. but we call that the formal, formal room. Yeah. So my father would let him come over and we could sit in the formal room for maybe about two hours and then it was time for the young man to go. But at least my daddy kind of got a chance to meet him and things oh, like good. that. Yeah. Did he like him? Absolutely not. But it made it comfortable for him when it was time for me to go on could my have been prom. Jesus, it wouldn't have been. Oh, Jesus walking on water in front of him. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Now, when you're a little girl, like two years old, your mother would have said, Felicia was so what? Headstrong. Oh. Like, I was very much my way or no way. And I don't even know, and to a certain degree, I'm still like that. I have to kind of mentally say to myself, you're not being reasonable, Felicia, or you need to hear somebody else's opinion, Felicia. See it from their side, Felicia. But I was very much my way or no way. And so if I didn't get my way, I would have a fit. I would have a fit. My mother said there were times when I was, when I was young that I would just cry. Cry, 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 cry if I did not get my way. And I said, I was? She was like, yes. She was like, it was pretty much your way or no way. I was like, oh. But that's what she was, I was very headstrong. Now, do you make up your mind really quickly? Like, are you like, yes or no? I do. And then once you make up your mind. I'm there, like it has to be, I don't necessarily, I'm not one of those people that make lists. I don't like mull over it. I kind of make, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, this is the decision you're making. You're just gonna have to deal with the consequences and repercussions. Because what happens is if I don't hold to what I initially wanted and it doesn't go the way that I initially wanted, it's harder for me to kind of get over it. Whereas if it's what I wanted in the beginning and it still doesn't work out, oh, well, that's what you wanted. That's what it is. But if I start faltering or asking for a lot of opinions and change my mind based upon others, it just never lands the same for me. Has there ever been a case where you said that way and you're like, uh-oh, ooh, oh, this is I me. need to back out of this. Big or small, big or small, have there been cases where you said that way and you were like, oh man, that was wrong. Oh God, and if he ever hears this, I hope he understands, but my marriage. Oh, that's a big one. That's a big one. That's the big one. That's the one I kind of, once I said, you know, once he proposed and I said I do, I was in it. Even though there may have been some things I saw, I already committed to it. So I was going to go through with it. So there were warning signs. There were, we weren't ready signs. And I... I am a people pleaser to a certain extent. I'm trying to get better with it, but it was one of those things where we had dated for about three years. It almost like once you kind of go through the natural progression, it's time for us to be engaged. And he did such a wonderful proposal. Where were you? We were on a cruise in the Bahamas. Oh. Uh... And 
I didn't know he was going to propose. And we were at the top deck, and it was a windy night, and we were having drinks. And I was looking at the water, and I turned around, and he was on, a knee, on his knee. And I was just like, oh, my God, because I was completely in shock. And I think there was a part of me that almost was like, are you really ready for this? Are y'all ready? But there was also a part of me was like, he did all this for you. How? And he, he, he doesn't do anything fly by, you know. I know if he did that, he's thought about it. It's what he really wanted. So I was like, you love this dude. Y'all been together for three years. Say, say yes. Say yes. And I did. Well, surely y'all talked about it before. We did, but I don't know. I think it wasn't necessarily real for me. Like we talked about it and we mulled over it, but it was. It doesn't become real until you see that ring and he's on a knee, and you're like, oh, oh, okay, yes, yes. But then as the planning went on and things were going, I just there were little. It was the angel and the devil on my shoulder like, Felicia, are you really ready for this? Are you looking at this? And then there was a part of me that was like, y'all will fix it. It'll work itself out. Like, I think a lot of people do that. It'll work itself out. Now, you, how old were you? So, what am I? I'm 46 now. Oh, my God. <laughs> I had you at 36 and holding. Okay, that was a good, oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> uh, let me see. Let me count back. 46. We've been divorced for about six years. Goodness, but we separated. I'm sorry, I had to count back. You ever have something happen in your life? Were you in college? Were you out of college? I was out of college, so I was about old? 35. Oh, okay. I had to count back. Has anything, you know how sometimes things happen, but it's almost surreal? Right. You almost got to remember that you were in those moments at one time. You got to say, where was I living? Yeah, yeah. So I was about 35. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, do y'all get along? We, I get along with his sister very much so. I love her to death. It's not even that we don't get along, we don't interact. Right. But he, he's, he's such a good dude. He always sends me a happy birthday text. That's nice. And so if we bump into each other, I don't think it would be awkward or anything. Um, we just don't interact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So having made the decision and had the, like, Big ceremony, or was it a? Oh, I had this. It was about 200 folks at the Botanical Gardens, the Daniel Stowe Botanical uh, Garden. Oh, it was one for the books. It was one, it was gorgeous. We had a gorgeous wedding, and so I was the first one out of my brothers to get. I wasn't the first one to get married, but I was the first one to actually have an actual ceremony. Mm -hmm. So. Had my grandmother there, my parents were there, my daddy walked me down the aisle. It was a, it was a beautiful wedding. Yeah. Did your father think this was a good idea? Did anybody say? Mm. My father did. It's so funny you brought this up because I was talking to my mother about it the other night because I don't think she knew. But when we, you know, when, you, when I met my father for him to lead me down the aisle, he kind of, he took a pause with me. And he looked at me and he said, if you do not want to do this, we will turn around. It won't be a problem. Everybody will be just fine. And I looked at him and I just said, let's go, Daddy. But I think that was his way of saying, if you're not comfortable, 
we can do it. But they know me as their child, I'm very headstrong. So you kind of got to be careful how you present things to me. If you tell me not to, or you give me a lot of pushback on something, I'm gonna dig my, I'm gonna dig my heel in it, and I'm gonna prove to you that this is what I want. I look back at that time, and I was like, that was my father saying, it's okay if you don't want to do this. So, but we went down the aisle. But I think I had to go through that. You almost had to go through these moments sometimes to know that it, you did your best. It was what it was, and it ended up the way it was. You made your decision, and there you are. They talk about women's intuition. Oh, like that gut. Making a, and like if the elevator doors open and there's a guy on the elevator uh -huh. and you don't feel good, don't get in the elevator. Correct, correct. Like don't say, oh, I'm just being Over, whatever. I'm, like I'm always listen. it, yeah. Or sometimes we, when I was young, when I was, teenager, when I went to college, I was very comfortable in trusting my gut. I feel like God speaks to me through my gut. I trust in my instincts. And I don't know, it's like when I was going through college towards the end and you get into the real world and you got to make all these adult decisions. You're asking for people's opinions. And then when you start doing that, you get different perspectives, right? Oh, you're thinking about it too much. Why are you feeling that way? You have no proof for that. So it's almost like you start second guessing what was naturally just trust it, just trust your gut. And then as I'm on the other side of a divorce and I'm, I'm in my 40s and I'm, I'm almost like growing up again and just saying it's okay to trust your gut and the way it lands will be the way it lands. Just trust it. I don't need to ask folks opinion the way I used to. I just deal with it and I make my own decision and go for it. Sometimes it's like the more people you ask, the more confusing it, it gets. It does, it does. And if you're somewhat of a people pleaser like me, some of the opinions you get, you value more. So if my mother gives me an opinion and I don't do that, oh, is she gonna then be looking at me like, didn't I tell you what to do? And you didn't do it? Like it starts, so I'm learning to kind of just talk it out for myself and I have to ask myself sometimes what is it that you want to do even when I'm talking to my girls and they're in the middle of these these life decisions or even everyday decisions and they're like they're throwing up all these options and you ask them what is it that you want to do remove the bias remove the people pleasing remove what you think people want you to do what do you want to do and when you ask folks that they have the hardest time with it they just look at me and be like, I, I, I don't, yeah, you know what you want to do, but you got all of this in your head trying to help. What do you want? Well, if I do this, people are going to say, and you're like, but honey, people are going to say, say anyway. Regardless. They're going to say no matter what you do, they're going to say something. So remove that. What is it you want to do? Yeah. That's what you want to do? Right, wrong, indifferent then do what you want to do. But when you say God speaks to you, there's also that I have to get quiet to hear that because my head is so loud. That's right. I do the best, con I have the best conversations with God first thing in the morning and sometimes in the middle of the night when I wake up in my sleep and I can't go back. And usually that's because I have something on my mind that I haven't worked through. I've, got, I've also done this, I've done this now 
and I don't know if it's because of COVID, in the mornings, I don't, I don't look at my phone. Because it used to be as soon as I pop open my eyes, I'm looking at the phone, I'm checking emails, I'm trying to see what I need to do for today, what's my agenda. I don't do that anymore. I just lay in my bed, and I just sit there looking at the ceiling, and I talk to God. Just about anything. I try not to get into this whole thing of what I have to do for the day because then I get feelings of anxiousness. So God, what's going on? Why am I still single? God, am I not doing the right thing with this job? Am I really happy? What do I want to do with my life? And I just talk it out. I do that for a couple of minutes. I say a prayer, then I get up. That's what I do. I just don't believe God has me at this point in my career, in my life, to where I'm miserable. Like, all the work I put in education, networking, meeting folks, growing, there's just no way God meant for me to be miserable at a job. So when I start not feeling it or not liking it, I'll be like, it's time for me to leave. So when I ask the question of what you want, usually if you're really answering that question, honestly, it's what makes you happy. What is it that you want that's gonna make you happy in this situation, in this decision that you have to make? That's all it is. So when people, they use a different word, this is a non-religious secular word, flow. What is Felicia doing when you enter that state in which you're, you lose yourself in something? I usually hit that state when I'm running. I mean, I get into a, first let me be honest, I don't enjoy running. <laughs> You'll see if you... If but people, you do it. But I do it. And I tell people all the time, I usually run about maybe three miles every day or every other day. But I tell people that is the state in which I am completely free. I don't answer calls. I don't answer texts. I have on music. And I get into this rhythm of hearing my feet on the pavement or concrete. And I'm just free-flowing. Things come through my head. Sometimes I don't even know if I'm thinking about anything. It's just the most relaxing, freeing thing. And then I can always tell when I walk back in my house and I get out of that zone, all the things start rushing me. Have you called? Don't forget. Have you paid? Don't forget to reach out to. Don't forget to answer emails. But when I'm running, that's the most relaxing thing for me. I made time after my prayer and I get up, I go running. Are you a list maker? I am, I God am. God bless you, I gotta learn how to do that. I am a list maker, but it's becoming more and more about me keeping track of stuff. I also realized when I was waking up in the middle of my sleep, sometimes it was my mind trying to make sure I didn't forget things. But if I make my list and I keep some type of record of what I need to do, I tend to do better. My mind doesn't race as much. One, one of the things that some people pray about is, um, God, how can I be of service? Mm. Or um, the St. Francis prayer is, make me a channel of your peace. Um, the question is, what, what does that look like? Okay, so I am a personal stylist. Here's what personal styling does for me. It's not necessarily about the materialism of it, right? It's not about the shopping. It's not about buying the nice clothes and all that. It's about making someone happy with how they look and how they feel. The best, the best compliment I get, I'm a nurturer, I'm a helper. I'm surprised I didn't end up in social work, to be honest with you. 
but when I am hey, when I get that client that's like I'm not really I don't feel pretty or I don't feel like I own myself and I don't know what makes me look good and I I just feel you could tell they're kind of lost and so when I come and I put them in looks and I put them in colors and I put them in things and they stand in front of the mirror and they're like I would have never thought to wear this oh my god I love this and they turn and they they profile and they're like I love it thank you like that feeds my soul so it's not even about the money I make off of it because you could pay me a lot of money and if you're in that mirror and you're like oh what is this I look horrible that that would mean nothing to me I love making people smile I love people feeling like yeah I look good it's something about when people look good they feel good or they feel like I don't know it's hard to explain but in those moments I'm just like yeah I'm absolutely where I'm supposed to be and there is there's something they used to call it dress for success but there is something to occupying the role like I've heard actresses say when they got the hair right I was like yeah that's her that's her when when you it's even even for me if I put on a certain dress and I have my hair done and my makeup done I walk into a room completely different my confidence is at a different level my grandma used to tell me all the time she would never let us walk out the house looking any kind of way she was like no when you walk out this house you look good because you never know who you're going to run into and then she said you'll be surprised when you look good you feel good and sometimes I would be in a mood, she'd be like, here, take this money and go get your hair done. When you look good, you feel good. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. It just kind of shifts your mood sometimes. So how do you help people be who they are as opposed to playing dress up for some kind of aspirational thing that they're never going to be? I, so that's a good question. I, um, the one thing I do before I style a client is that I have a consultation. I sit and talk with them for about 30 minutes. Almost like what we're doing here, wherever you want to meet, at your house, on Zoom, in a coffee shop, I meet and I just talk. I don't ask them questions yet about what they're looking for. I don't ask them questions about what they want to present. I talk. Talk to me about your family. What's going on with you? Why did you hire me? What is it that you're looking for? And sometimes when you have those initial conversations, you get a more authentic person because they're not trying to fake it. And once I do that, I then go into the questions of, so what celebrities do you like? What style do you like? What's comfortable to you? What colors do you like? It's almost like when you start hitting questions like that, you can only fake so much for so long. And then you kind of get more of an idea of what they are. I hug, I shake hands now because it's COVID, but once I get a feel, I think I'm good at reading people a little bit. I'll bring them what they think they want. Felicia, I want this. This is I saw this in a magazine. I'll bring them that. But I'll bring them like five or six other things that I think fits more with what they told me. And more, nine out of 10 times, they don't like what they thought they would. They like the other things that seem to fit more about their personality and what they communicated. They just never thought they would work for looks like that because they had already made up their mind that this is what I'm supposed to look like. And so that's how it usually works for me. So we're near the center of banking mm -hmm. in Uptown mm -hmm. and there's a definite uniform. Yes. But in most 
businesses in most industries, there's a range what you can get away with in the office, mm -hmm. but the range has gotten much wider. There's I much agree. It's not as closed. I think you're absolutely right. It used to be you wear a suit every day. The suits need to be kind of dull colors, gray, blue. You might have um, you might have a khaki somewhere. Don't stand out. Don't stand out. Don't be a distraction. But the world has changed so much generations after us you know you got companies now like google amazon who are like nah we just want you to work hard and do well we could care less about what you look like i mean really come to work in jeans and a t-shirt we don't care so now you got banking industries competing with these other industries that are like nah we'll take you looking exactly how you want to look what makes you comfortable but i think the banking industry has also kind of shifted. I mean, COVID has made us shift a little bit. You got people working from home. It's okay to wear your leggings and a nice shirt and just be comfortable. There are some people who their look defines them. I mean, I was thinking everyone from like Dolly Parton to RuPaul, if they're a creative, mm -hmm. they create the image and then that is, you never see them, never, ever. It's almost like they get um, siloed into that image too, though. Yes. Yeah, I think as the world becomes more comfortable with us becoming more casual, it forces the workforce to say, hey, is it really that big of a deal anymore? Yeah. I mean, when I first started in banking, I used to have very long hair. But and when how I- how did you do it? I cut it. Because, no, I mean, I mean oh. when it was long, how did you do it? You mean, I had it relaxed. Oh, okay. I had it relaxed, which kept it straight at all times. That means? That means I had it chemically processed to keep it straight. Uh, yes. Um, that hurts, doesn't it? It doesn't hurt, it burned. It was a chemical process, so it could burn at times. But when I was growing up, you looked a certain way. Mm -hmm. So, but what's funny is when I was coming out of college, it was like the professional look when going into banking was short hair it had to be relaxed which meant it was straight you wore a full suit the suit was either gray navy or khaki or something like to your point it didn't have a lot of texture didn't have a lot of designs you kept a very uniform look and you didn't stand out and you wanted people to respect in those in those moments to be respected was to look professional and professional look like this and so it hasn't been to I think I actually stopped relaxing my hair, went natural. And for those who may not know, natural means the way it grows out my head is the way it holds. I don't, I don't try to chemically change it. I don't try to straighten it. I let it be what it is. And I think I, I started that right after my divorce. It's almost like you, you start letting go of everything that has been this restriction of you. And either you like me for me or you don't. If I don't get the job because my hair is not relaxed, then that's not the job for me. You just be, that's what it becomes. A kind of a narrow range for white men in like what they can do with their hair. There's a relatively <laughs> narrow range, but for black men and women, there seems to be a lot more creativity. And you can, nothing is neutral. Right. Like everything says something. It may say something about your religious beliefs. It may say something about your politics, mm -hmm. depending upon how you do.
to your hair. It does. That also allows people to showcase their personality, to be distinctive in a crowd of folks. Like this is, this is the one thing I can control. This is me. And for all the other stuff that I have to kind of conform to my hair, I can control what that looks like. I have the ability to change it up for the mood that I'm in. That's why you see so many different looks. Selfishly, educate me. If I wanted to compliment you about your hair, that's a little bit of dangerous territory, don't you think? Uh. Like what, like, I know that it's not okay for me to pat your head. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. And don't do not do that thing where people like, can I touch it, but they're already leaning in to touch it. And you're like, what are you about to do with that finger? <laughs> I think you handled it just like you, ha I think you handled it well when I walked up. You were like, oh, I like your hair. When did you start wearing it like that? I didn't take offense, but I could tell it was genuine. Like, I think that's how you handle it. So much, well, here's what people don't want to feel like. I don't want to feel like a zoo animal where you're trying to figure out, and that's what I think people feel like when folks start saying, hey, how did you get it like that? And they start touching and want to feel it. I'm not, I'm not in a zoo. I don't need to be, you can like it. Just say you like it and be like, I like the way that looks. I wish I could do my hair like that. Say that. You say you're a hugger, but you've also, you're a, a woman who's in her 40s, you've had, being a hugger, you've had men who will, like, take advantage or presume things because you're a hugger. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how have you learned to negotiate that territory being a hugger? When I talk about being able to read folks, I have this thing now where I'm able to feel energy. And I don't know, I just kind of feel this energy when I walk up, and I'm a smiler too, I smile all day, every day. I feel like I can feel the energy in folks and when it's appropriate to receive a hug. I have actually stopped folks and been like, nah, and I've held out my hand. Or I try to get in front of it, if I'm not feeling the person, I try to get in front of it with a handshake before they even come in with a hug. Mm -hmm. So I try to get in front of it before it becomes an awkward situation. That's smart. Yeah. That's what they call emotional intelligence. It sure is. It sure is. And so when you say read energy, that's not aura necessarily. It's, I think, of course, we all kind of intuitively know this, that people give off vibes. They give off vibes. And if you really lift, I think you have, you have to be open to it as well. You know, you have to kind of know what you're sensing. It's a sense. Just like you've walked into a room and you can feel the tension in the air. You know something is up. And the first thing you say, what's going on? That's you feeling the energy, the vibes in the room. You have to listen to that when you're meeting people and when you're in moments. When you talked about the elevator, there's a vibe that person's giving off when those doors open. And you got to feel that. You got to be receiving of it. Yeah. And that's why they tell people, pay attention to what's going on in yourself because the world sometimes will like beat it into you to override and you need to get back in touch with that, what you were designed with. I like, agree. I agree. We have, it's kind of like 
any kind of broadcasting. We have transmitters and we also have receivers. And so much of that we've closed off because it's almost like we need evidence to things. When that when those elevators door open, though the doors open and you you sense something, but you ain't you don't necessarily have proof that this guy's gonna hurt me. Ah, uh, let me let it go, and you kind of just you don't receive it. But it's okay to say I feel something from this person, and I'm not gonna get on that elevator with them, and that's enough for me. That's enough. What's the difference in how men and women talk to you and how you talk to them? I, ha I tend to be a little more reserved when I'm talking with men because I've been in situations where even though I thought I was being professional and I was very, I didn't think I was sending off signals, my personality being bubbly and I smile a lot and I'm also a toucher to a certain degree. I've had instances where the male client read that to be something more than what it was. So I, I thought you were into it. Uh -huh, or I was flirting. Whereas I could do those same things with a woman, no problem. So with men now, I'm very aware of whether I touch or not. I tend not to touch anymore. Even gay women? I mean. Even gay women. Even gay women. I don't know. I don't know if it's because we're women and they know when a woman's hitting on them. I don't know. But I never had that issue with women. But with men, I had to learn to, I still smile, but I don't necessarily get as close, I want to say. I don't, my physical space is a lot different with men than it is women. So that's what I've learned to do. Until me and that client have gotten to a point where we build a better rapport and we're better off reading, that just because I touch your hand doesn't mean I'm trying to flirt with you. I don't do any of that anymore. I'm a single woman providing a service and so I don't know sometimes I think people read oh she's single oh she just touched me oh she's smiling a lot at me is she flirting and I guess it's our biases right that kind of let us either read into that or not but that's what I try to do and especially if the man is married I'm very adamant that when we meet I meet your wife too yeah I'm, I'm very adamant about that so you're occupying the same space. It's the kind of thing we, you kind of have to be there. You, you can't do all this over Zoom. It's a little bit harder to do that. I've actually been doing Zoom a lot for COVID. And I thought it was going to be hard, but I actually like it. Oh. I don't know, I, I feel like I'm still as engaging with the client we're talking my consultations haven't changed the questions i ask i do ask them to be in a moment and be in a quiet space where they can focus but i've had just my engagement level has been just as great some men will be very blunt savage with other <laughs> men like, that looks like shit, yes. you know mm -hmm. um i gather you're more nuanced in the way that you talk to people about like you don't just say that looks great on you I mean sometimes you do but you you say why I tend to say why and a lot of my clients would tell you that I'll also be kind of blunt about yeah I don't that doesn't look right on you but I also would tell them why I'm big on why this looks great on you because the color exempt it 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 looks great on you it brings you up it makes you glow 
that doesn't look well and I'll show them look how long the pants look how it cuts you in half look how it your torso is much longer we have conversations I never just say no without a reason behind it or I never say or I don't even just give a compliment and provide some explanation around it people are why people they want to understand so that when you leave them and they're back on their own picking out clothes and what to wear something in them will say oh Felicia said this color looks great on me it does look great on me I'm going to choose that that's what I want them to have that's why I'm always very deliberate about telling them why I'm saying what I'm saying people who are obese know they're obese and they know they have to dress in a way that's comfortable and that makes the most of who they are you can basically talk to people about if a man is bald you're going to have to dress for that mm -hmm. you know if your skin tone is a certain skin tone you're going to dress for that mm -hmm. and um, so how do you not tiptoe around but also not be rude about most of America is overweight at least if not obese mm -hmm. so how do you dress around us getting larger when I Part of my consultation as well isn't just about getting information, it's also building rapport. It's also building credibility, where the person trusts me with what I am about to do with them and what I tell them. And I ask the person, I have um, personal questions around, what is it, what parts of you do you like? What parts of your body do you not like? And why don't you like it? So uh, some of my clients who tend to be larger in size they may not like their stomach i don't like my stomach felicia because of the way it hangs over my pants so let's do something about that maybe i'm putting you now in high-waisted pants so now that you don't have to worry about hiding yourself i try to make my customers i tell them all the time i don't care what size you are size zero is just as hard for me as a size 22 or it's just as easy none no size is a perfect size for me to style it's all a process we have different body shapes we're longer in some areas. I just make it clear to them that whatever you're afraid of, let's work through it. So if they're saying they have a problem with their arms, I'll specifically find outfits that show their arms because I want you to be comfortable in your skin. And I tell them what makes you attractive is your confidence. If you're confident, you'll show up in a room and you'll light it up. It's the people that try to hide. I'm big, you know, they'll say to themselves, I'm big, these negative thoughts, I'm big, I can't wear that because of my size. No, you can wear it. We just got to find the right cut of it for your size. Well, you told me, I believe. <laughs> oh, wait, what are you going to say? Um, don't tuck your shirt in. Don't tuck your shirt in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, come on. I'm going to come off like I'm trying to be young, hip slick, and cool. And you said, no, can you get away. You just, you're not. You're not going to work for the bank. You're not going in front of the judge. Mm -hmm. And that way, I don't have to be aware, as aware of my gut. It, it camouflages or disguises. It works. It makes for like a cleaner line. And that was also about your personality. You're such this kind of cool, free-flowing dude. And I just felt like that was something that was like this thing that was like, you just felt like it had so much attention to it. I was like, nah. Be cool and it works for you your whole personality fits with that so i was like 
no matter what I wear today, Felicia's gonna have an opinion. <laughs> 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 and, and, and finally, I was like, screw it. I'm not gonna dress up. I'm gonna wear this loose fitting shirt. Mm -hmm. So particularly with women, how do you say, I don't want you to be miserable, to pack yourself into something that is just so uncomfortable, whether it's stilettos or just like a pantyhose or whatever, mm. that, or a bra that doesn't fit, yeah. you know? I, I tell my clients, I'm really, I told them my number one, the number one thing we have to do with each other is always communicate and be honest. If you do not like something I put you in, no matter how much I tell you you look great, no matter how much I tell you it's perfect, if you do not like that, you say you don't like it. And we'll find you something else. Because at the end of the day, you've got to wear it. Communication is huge with me. So even when my clients stand in front of the mirror and they put on something, I've had them say, okay, so tell me what you like about it. They'll list off. Tell me what you don't like. I don't like how I got to, I'm gonna have to be in this bra or I'm gonna have, it's so tight. Then let's not do it. If it's not, you have to own, and to a certain degree, we're all adults. You have to own what makes you happy with this and what doesn't. It's not about what Felicia says I have to wear. It's not about what Felicia, as the expert in this, if she says I, I have to do this and I need to do it, regardless of what I feel. No, I want you to be happy in it as well. I'm not gonna be another person that's telling you what to do when you're miserable at what I told you, but you're doing it because I'm the expert in it. No, you have a right to say, I do not like that. I do not. And you know, there is this little movement going on since everyone's been on quarantine for so long. Women don't wanna wear bras anymore. Women don't wanna wear Spanx anymore. They don't wanna wear uncomfortable shoes. I don't know the last time I've been in a pair of heels. People are kind of shifting You've is got that an taste. age thing? No. That... I think it's just sometimes we get caught up in looking and doing certain things because we're expected. And then once you're kind of forced to step out of that, you're not you're not in quarantine wearing heels all day. You're not wearing, you don't want to wear that bra or that spanx. You want to be comfortable. That's why you got women saying, I do not want to put on another suit. I want to wear my leggings and my comfortable shirt. How can I make that look nice and presentable for work? I want to wear nice flats. Can you find me something that got a little bit of bedazzle to them because I still want to be comfortable, but I just wanted to have a little spark. It's just a different mindset going on. I'm going to use two words and I want your just riff on them, okay? <laughs> okay. Yoga pants. Love them. Because? Comfortable. They hold you in in all the right places. I don't know. They're just the most freeing <laughs> piece of garment. I love it. And they go with so many different things. Good invention. Oh, net, great invention. Net good. Net good. And they come in so many different sizes, cuts. For whatever size you are, there's a pair of yoga pants for you. I feel like I'm getting a mixed message. Okay. Like, if somebody wears yoga pants and I look, I'm wrong, and I get a big lecture about the male gaze. And, and so I think there's this very delicate, there was a Jerry Seinfeld episode about this, <laughs> in which talked about this, 
a young woman's cleavage, and he said, it's like the sun. You just glance and look away. I was going to say, are you glancing or are you leering? Which exactly. <laughs> and that's a fine line. You do your quick glance, and then you look away. Don't leer. Don't leer. Well, see, that's good. That's good information. Because you know what's funny? We, as women, or anybody probably, we can feel when someone's looking. Like, you just feel it. So if I look over my shoulder and I see you, I'm going to stare back. What you looking at? <laughs> what are you looking at? Would you say something? Even though I know I look good back there. It depends I on would. who it is. I would. I'll tip my, what you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> and then usually you may get the guy that's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or you may get the guy, I, I mean, it's just, and then he'll just walk off. I'm like, yeah, yeah, quit staring. <laughs> It's a very thin line. It's Absolutely. a strange age. And uh, my daughters would be, all of them raised by their mother to be very good feminists, would be just appalled <laughs> that I would even ask that question. <laughs> but it's I think just, it's a fair question, right? We got all these, nothing is as black and white as people want it to be. It's not. There's gray all day. And I think what gets us, what helps, what not what bothers us, but what causes us to ask the question is because we're genuine people, right? We want to be respectful of you, but I'm also encountering this, so how do I, how do I handle it? I really want to be respectful in how I handle it. Yeah. Is there such a thing as dressing black? I don't care if it's the U.S. military or Bank of America, that um, black folk have had to, quote unquote, dress white. Yes. You know, and so if you go to work for Bank of America, how can you sort of express your authentic who you are um, or how could you um, adopt a certain style without it being cultural appropriation? God, that's a great question. From me as a black woman perspective, I guess when I dress now for whether I'm going into those environments or not, I've kind of gotten to the point where and I don't know if this is even the politically correct way to say it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have gotten to the point, I guess so much of my beginning life and career was so much about what do white men want to see? What do white women want to see to make them comfortable with sitting across from me at a table to where they're not staring at my hair, they're not staring at my skin tone, or they're not looking at my clothes and like, why does she put that together? You almost conform to what you think they want to see you in. I'm now to a point where I'm like, nah, I like colors and I like, I like puffy sleeves and I like standing out in a room. But I do believe there is this line between being authentic to your style and personality and being like this huge distraction. Like, I want you to see me. I want you to, I want you to know who I am. But I think you have to get comfortable with this is my personality, this is what I like. So when I walk into a room, it doesn't look like I'm trying so hard. It's just like, oh, that's Felicia. Yeah, that looks great on her. And as far as oh, that cultural appropriation, sometimes I feel there are some garments that have a culture with them. So when you talk about the shikis, that's African culture. So it's hard to see someone white or Caucasian in that when that's not a part of your culture. So I think that's what gets, I think we all have this line to kind of say, is this really about me or am I trying to look like something else or someone else? I tell people you dress to the audience. So if, if your clients 
if you want to bring in an older group, you want to bring in certain incomes, but this is what they tend to look like, then you may want to dress to that. But maybe you want to dress more to, I want to bring in a younger group. I want to bring in people that are of a certain age. Bring in women, make them feel comfortable. Then I'm going to dress to what makes that group more attractive, or excuse me, comfortable to me. That's what I think it becomes more about. What is it that you want? What is it you want to get out of this? Are you wanting to bring in this certain clientele or are you wanting to bring in this certain clientele? And what does that clientele, what makes them comfortable? What looks tend to make that clientele comfortable with you? I think you, I just, it's just so much bigger. And then, so I actually have a, uh, a friend that as he's getting older, he's a physical therapist and he doesn't want to just do physical therapy for people his age. He wants to do it for younger folks and make them comfortable. And he's like, Felicia, I have to, I don't wear facial hair. I don't wear full facial hair. I may just wear a massage because I feel like when I wear full facial hair, it dates me. It makes me look older. But I want other people because we're such, we're physically, you know, intimate to certain degrees. I, I don't want them looking at me like I'm their daddy. And I said, I get it. I get it. So he may wear more colors, but his colors may not go to so extreme to where it alienates this other group. He has to kind of walk this balance. You could actually probably make more money or get a better job depending on how you dress for the interview or in the, mm -hmm. like you could, it could be the difference between you selling a car or not selling a car. It could. Part of my business also is going to colleges to talk to them about why what you look like matters. And I tell people all the time that, yeah, they may have your resume and they may know what you have to offer, but when you walk in that room to do your interview, they've sized you up three and four times about will this person fit in my group? Will this person, how does this person look intelligent based upon what they got on? Or is this person gonna cause me trouble because they're because of what they have on? Like people are making decisions about you solely based upon what you look like when you walk into a room. So when people are like, well that shouldn't matter, but it does. We're visual people. Then what you're working back to, what happens is now you're sitting giving the interview and I'm over here, I've already made up my mind about three or four things and I'm trying to see if you are like what I'm thinking or what you tell me is going to be different from what I'm already assuming you to be. So now you're working against something you have no idea you're working against. So make sure that when you walk into that room, what is it you want people to see or say about you when they see you? What is it? I want them to see me as professional, smart attractive then that's what you need to dress and look like then if i were to wear a suit with a necktie mm -hmm. and you and i were to sit in a studio and talk behind microphones we would have a different conversation than me wearing an open collar no jacket jeans sitting on a park bench under an umbrella we would have a different interaction you think so? Absolutely. You don't think our personalities would be exactly what they are, even in those moments? I think they would, but I think you're setting up impediments. That's the whole reason I'm saying let's sit in the rain <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> let's sit in uh, Advent co-working behind some microphones. Okay, so I probably could agree with you on that. I think, because remember when we were initially talking, you were saying you would come to my place? Yes. And I was like, I know how I am in this in this place. And then I got, I have a little bit of family. I guess I'm agreeing with what you're saying because I was like, nah, let's meet outside. Let's 
let me get out of this because I tend to have a different reaction or I handle myself differently in this environment. Let me get out somewhere where I can be comfortable and free and just talk. Yeah. So that brings back a memory when I was talking to these, um, I had to do a Zoom call with um, this organization, these girls, how to be professional, how you show up. And these are young girls that are um, like in junior high school and it's first thing in the morning. And when I was getting ready, there was this piece of me that was like, all right, so are you gonna try to dress a little more casual? Cause the, I mean, the girls range from ages eight to 15. And I said to myself, what are you about to talk about? And I was like, I'm about to talk about being professional and showing up. So I put on a nice dress. I had my makeup done. I had my hair done. Eight o'clock in the morning. And I remember when the Zoom came up, the whole crowd just went, they just got hushed. And the lady that was organizing it was like, we're quiet because you just look so good at eight o'clock in the morning. And I was like, whereas they were kind of very casual, right? T-shirts, very, very kind of like, oh, I'm just coming to hear a speaker. But I told them the lesson in this is that when you look at me, you have a different opinion of me. You're like, this girl is knowing what she's talking about. She stepped up to be, to present us this information. And what she says, I'm probably going to listen to a little differently had I not dressed like that. I'm showing up for what I want you to receive. And after that call, the, <laughs> the woman that was leading was like, oh, from now on, I'm, I'm, I'm showing up. No, I don't care what we're talking about. I want to show, because it brings a different rapport in that room. It brings a different level of respect sometimes. So I get it. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, if we get hit by lightning today, <laughs> and the only thing that survives is this little piece of audio, oh, what wow. is your legacy? I want people to remember me being an authentic, genuine person that wanted to make people feel good about themselves. That's what I want. That's what I care about. Oh my God, that was a great question. A great question. When I was growing up and coming out of college, I wanted to be the CEO of an organization making all this money and I wanted them to look at me and I don't even care about that stuff no more. I just really want to be remembered as a good, authentic person. We meet so many fake people in this world now. These facades. And I just want to be remembered for someone that wanted to make people feel good about themselves. A genuine person. Yeah. I have always encountered you as being real. That's exactly what I want people to feel. That's when people tend to take me and be open with me. You know, when I'm working with clients, I don't want to put on a I don't want to put on a facade. I don't want to come presenting myself. Because I mean I'm a stylist. I could come in there all dressed up and designer and all this other stuff, but that's not necessarily me. I want you to be comfortable with me. Thank you, Felicia Biddle. This has been great, Stuart. I, I bet you meet so many cool people doing this. I do, like you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Felicia Biddle, thank you so much. It was so much fun, even in the rain, even under the umbrellas, um, out in the park. A wonderful conversation. I appreciate it.
Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening, one word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch, like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too. I really just want to say thank you and how grateful I am to everyone, everyone, who has supported Man Listening through your interviews, through your contributions, through your support and encouragement from the very beginning. Thanks so much. Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Click the subscribe button and next week you'll hear. And so from Ohavia Phillips to the world, I will always be that person that shows love. That's next week on Man Listening. Thanks.